leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship. It's always a joy um, to praise the Lord. It's always refreshing to be in the presence of God. And uh, I've been refreshed this morning. It's already been good to be in the house of the Lord. I love that psalm because it talks about the resurrected King is resurrecting me. The same power that raised up Jesus raises us up uh, from our spiritual deadness. That's exactly what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter number 8. It says the same spirit that raised up Jesus will also quicken or make alive our mortal bodies. So the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus up on that first Easter morning is continually raising us up and making us alive uh, more like Christ. And I'm so very thankful for that. Tonight, or today, excuse me, I want, to turn, want you to turn with me please to John chapter number 20. And I want you to keep your place there. And we're going to read about the resurrection of the Lord. And then keep your place in John 20 and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Okay? John chapter 20 and verse number 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. And so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the tomb, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the, to the tomb, and saw, and believed. Everybody say, and believed. He saw the empty tomb, and believed. The empty tomb changed everything. The empty tomb completed the work of Jesus. If not for the empty tomb, then... Simon Peter, John, these two disciples, they had no hope. And if not for the empty tomb, we have no hope. When they saw the empty tomb, they believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, I want to thank you for loving us. I want to thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came as the Son of God and God the Son, incarnate in human flesh, to do for me what I couldn't do. Lord, you paid my sin debt. You became the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm thankful, Lord, that through faith in you I've received new life, eternal life. God, we praise you for that. I'm thankful today that you didn't stay dead, that, Lord, you... Uh, came forward that first Easter morning so that we too could conquer death, hell, and the grave. Lord, we praise you for all these things, and I'm asking you now for your help. Lord, these people need not hear what I have to say, but they need to hear straight from your truth. And Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you speak straight to their heart, convict them, bring them unto yourself, do the work in this place and the hearts and lives of all of us that needs done. Lord, if it's going to get done, if the work's going to happen effectively, then you've got to do it. So we're asking today that you speak to hearts, change lives. Lord, I'm praying you break addictions and heal families. I'm praying you do the work that only you are capable of. And for these things, we're going to praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the last six weeks, we've been talking about the miracles that John recorded throughout his gospel. 
If you remember, we said these miracles, John called them signs. Now, he called them signs for a reason because a sign points to a truth. Now, the truth that these miracles are pointing to, the significance of these signs and the message in, this, in these miracles is really what John wants us to get a hold of. John chapter 20 and verse number 30, John put it like this. He said, all these, uh, these and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But look at verse 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. So what's the significance of these signs? What's the message in these miracles that John records for us? Well, the message is that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God and God the Son. He's God incarnate in the flesh, coming to do for men what men can't do for themselves. So by seeing what Jesus did, we begin to see who he is. So what did he do? Well, he raised up dead people for one. You remember that? John chapter number 11, he raised up Lazarus. And we said that means that message for us is that Lazarus is the answer, or excuse me, Jesus is the answer for man's death. Then we saw in John chapter 2 the sign of when Jesus turned the water into wine. And we said that message in that miracle, that significance of that sign is that Jesus is the answer for man's disappointment when the wines of the world run out. How many of you know Jesus gives us exactly what we need? He satisfies. He sustains. He gives to us our needs freely, fully, and forever. He is the answer to man's disappointment. Then we looked, if you remember, in John chapter 6 at Jesus feeding the 5,000. And we said the answer, or the, the, the significance in that sign, the message in that miracle is that, folks, Jesus is the answer to man's desire. See, this morning, every man, woman, boy, and girl upon this planet who have not yet trusted in Christ. They've got a desire deep down on the inside, that, and they may not even know what that desire is for. But I can tell you this, listen to me. Each and every one of us have a Jesus-shaped hole on the inside of us, and we desire that to be filled. The problem is, many times when we're apart from Christ, when we've not yet trusted in Jesus, we try to fill it with everything the world has to offer. I mean, I tried it myself. People try to fill it with a pill or a party or another person. People try to fill it with power or prestige. People try to fill it with possessions. They try to fill it with all kinds of different things. But the problem is, the more they get, the more they want. They're never satisfied. They're never content. They never have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. They never truly experience life until that, that Jesus-shaped hole is filled by Him. That desire you have is truly a desire to know the Lord. He's the answer to man's desire. Then we looked and we saw that Jesus healed a nobleman's son in John chapter 4. And we said that that nobleman had doubts just like sometimes we have doubts concerning the truth of the word of God, what God has said, what God has done. But how many of you know Jesus is the way? Jesus is the truth. He's not a truth. He's not some truth. He is the truth, the essence, the epitome of truth is found not in just pages, but in a person. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? <laughs> so he's the answer to man's doubt. 
Then we saw in John chapter 5, Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. You remember that. He had been lame, the Bible says, for 38 years. Jesus walks up and asks him a very important question. He said, Wilt thou be made whole? And, and the man says, Yeah, but every, try, every time I try to get in the water when it bubbles, nobody will put me in. Somebody steps down before me. And Jesus said, Take up your bed and walk. And a man that had been paralyzed for 38 years carried the bed he was laying down on and the Bible says he rejoiced in the Lord. Amen? Jesus is the answer for man's disability, and we're all spiritually disabled apart from Christ. We all have weakness that only Jesus can fix. Then, if you remember Wednesday night, we took it just a step further, and we began talking about Jesus being the answer to our despair. The disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee, and the Bible says they were in the middle of a storm. And it was Jesus who came walking to them in the middle of the night, in the darkest part of the night, when they were in despair, when they had no hope to be able to be rescued. Jesus came at the time when they needed Him most. And folks, He still does the same for us. Now, let me ask you something. If Jesus can walk on water and Jesus can heal uh, a, a man that's been paralyzed for 38 years and Jesus could raise up Lazarus from the dead after he'd been dead four days and Jesus can turn water without grapes into wine and Jesus can do all of these signs, all of these miracles that John has recorded, listen, that tells me he's more than a man. That's what it ought to tell you too. He is God incarnate. See, He's doing things that only God can do. He transcends matter, space, and time. So matter, space, and time have no control over Him. He is not hindered by the constraints of matter, space, and time. Why? Because He's God. And ultimately, He created matter, space, and time. You remember John chapter 1, verse number 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there wasn't anything made that was made unless it was made by Him. The Word, meaning Jesus, was God, was with God, and created all things. That's why the Bible says in Genesis 1, 26, And let us make man in our own image. God the Father, God the Son... God the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus didn't, didn't just become God in Bethlehem. He's been God since before the beginning. What you, what you need to understand, what you've got to know, is that God came to do for you and for me what we couldn't do. And He proved it by what He did. Now this morning, we're going to finish that series of messages up. We're going to be talking about Jesus being the answer to man's darkness. I don't even know it was dark in that tomb for three days. Yes, Jesus died, and He died for my sin, and He died for your sin. We talked about that this morning. He took the punishment for our wrong. All of that's true, and yes, He died, and yes, He was buried. But now listen to me. He did not stay there. That's what we're celebrating today. This makes all the difference, and this completes the story. See, if Jesus does all that other stuff, if he walks on water and, and heals people and, and, and raises up dead people, if he does all of that but he can't conquer the grave, then none of it means anything. The resurrection seals the truth 
that Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son. Amen? That's what the Apostle Paul makes plain to us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to try and answer the question, because this is really what Paul does right here. He answers the question, what if there were no Easter? What if Easter didn't happen? What would that mean for us? So let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to start in verse number 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So evidently, in the church at Corinth, there were some who had a problem with Jesus rising from the dead. They, they doubted that. They didn't truly believe that. And so Paul, he, he uh, deals with this in, in the next few verses. He says in verse 13, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Now, if there, are, there were no Easter, if Jesus stayed in the tomb... Paul then begins to give us what would happen if Easter really didn't take place. Listen to what he said. If Christ be not risen, verse 14, then our preaching is in vain. The first thing that I want you to see, according to what the Apostle Paul is saying, that if there is no Easter, if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, our preaching is pointless. Our preaching means nothing. Because, folks, the truth is, the only power we have in the message we share is not just the death of Christ, but certainly the resurrection of Christ. And I think a lot of times in our evangelical zeal, we want to talk a whole lot about the, uh, the, the death of Christ, the cross, and rightly so. I certainly want to give people the truth that Jesus paid for our sins. If you believe it, say amen. I'm so thankful that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm thankful that he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities like Isaiah 53 says. And we're going to keep preaching about the cross. But folks, if we leave out the resurrection, the cross means nothing. That's what he's saying. Our preaching is in vain if Jesus is still in the tomb. Heard a story one time about a preacher who went to a barber, a barber that gave 50 cent haircuts. So he walks in and gets his haircut, and he gets ready to go, stands up, and he says, how much do I owe you? And the barber says, oh, you don't owe me anything. He said, well, what does a haircut usually cost here? And he said, well, I usually charge 50 cents. He said, I know you're a preacher, and I'm just going to take it out. Uh, we'll just trade out with your message Sunday. I'm going to come hear you preach, and we'll just do it that way. And the preacher looked at him and said, sir, I don't have any 50-cent sermons. He said, well, I'll tell you what then. I'll just come twice. They're going to get that on the way home, y'all. I'm going to tell you, preaching ain't worth a quarter if it ain't got the resurrection in it. It's worth nothing. It's profitless. It's pointless if Jesus has not risen from the dead. That's what Paul is saying. This is where the power of the gospel lies. Our preaching is pointless, but listen what else he says. Look at verse 14. And our faith is also vain. Not only would our preaching be pointless if there were no Easter, but our, our faith would be futile. It would be an exercise in futility, which means nothing. See, folks, I want to tell you something. I'm not going to put my faith in a dead Messiah. And you shouldn't either. What separates Jesus from everybody else? He died, but he didn't stay dead. Listen, Confucius lived, but he died. 
and he stayed dead. Muhammad lived, but he died, and he stayed dead. Oh, Buddha, he lived, but he died, and he stayed dead. What separates Jesus from other religious leaders? And I don't really like calling Jesus a religious leader because, because, listen to me, Christianity is really not a religion. A religion is man's feeble attempt to keep a bunch of rules and regulations and make themselves right with God. That's not what Jesus offered. Jesus offers a relationship where when we place our faith in Him, we can be born again as sons and daughters into the family of God. A lot of difference. There's freedom and there's life in relationship. There's drudgery and burden in religion. But what separates Jesus from everyone else? He conquered the grave. A dead Messiah cannot fix my problem, but a live one can. If there were no Easter, then our preaching would be pointless and our faith would be futile. That's why Paul makes it clear in the first four verses. Watch what he says. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you also have received, and wherein you stand. So he's fixing to give us the gospel in a nutshell. He's fixing to give us the gospel according to who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Verse 2. By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. If you believe it, say amen. Jesus died for our sin. To pay our sin debt. That sin that separated us from God the Father who is holy. He came to reconcile the world back to God through His death burial, resurrection. Watch what else. Verse 4. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. So what's Paul saying? The gospel is this. That Jesus, the Son of God and God the Son, came to this earth, was born perfect so that he might live perfect, went to a cross, died for our sins, taking the punishment for our wrong. He was buried, but he rose again. This is the gospel. He said, brother, how do you believe that? Why do you believe that? Well, look what else he says. He says in verse number 5, And that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter. And then of the twelve, the rest of the apostles, after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain in this present, but some are fallen asleep. So what's Paul saying? Jesus rose again from the grave and Peter saw him. Peter, who was hiding out in the upper room when, like we studied a moment ago, Mary came and brought the news that the Lord had risen again. Now, why was he hiding out in the upper room? Because he was afraid, along with the other disciples, that the same ones who had just crucified Jesus would now come and crucify them. And so he's hiding out in the upper room, but then the Bible says they ran to the tomb, him and John, and when he got there, they saw the empty tomb and they believed. I'm going to tell you something. That empty tomb changed them forever. You have Peter and John and Matthew, Andrew, all of those disciples hiding out in the upper room like a bunch of cowards. 
And then they see the empty tomb and they become the most bold preachers of the gospel the world has ever known. Matter of fact, one time in the book of Acts, the religious authorities, the same ones who had uh, Jesus crucified, comes to Peter and John, these very two, and they say to them, you've got to quit preaching about Jesus. If you don't quit preaching about Jesus, we're going to put you in prison or worse. But you know what they said? They said, we cannot help but preach what we've seen and heard. <laughs> How did, what changed? How did they go from a bunch of cowardly, Men hiding out in the upper room to becoming so bold they stood up in front of the most powerful people of their day and say, we're going to keep preaching Jesus because that's what I've seen with my eyes. That's what I've heard with my ears. And I know it's real. I cannot keep quiet about it. How did that happen? I'll tell you how. The resurrection. The resurrection. Let me tell you what else happened. Those religious leaders did exactly what they claimed they were going to do. See, the, the disciples became martyrs. Do you know what a martyr is? Someone who dies for their belief. How did they die? Some of them were crucified. Some of them were stoned. Some of them were burned at the stake. Some of them reddened the mouths of lions. Why? Because they had to keep preaching about what they had seen and what they had heard. Well, if it's a lie, why not just shut up? Nobody, nobody, I've seen a lot of people live for a lie, but nobody will die for a lie that they know to be a lie. Now someone may die for a lie that they believe to be the truth, but nobody, nobody will die for a lie that they know to be a lie. So if the resurrection is not true, if it really didn't happen, how do you explain the change in these men? It changed them and it changed the world. It's the single greatest event in the history of all eternity. Changed everything. So if the resurrection didn't happen, if there were no Easter, our preaching would be pointless, our faith would be futile. Let's go on. What else would he say? He goes on and he says, um, verse number 16. Let's look down at it. For indeed, if Christ rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Look back at verse number 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, if Jesus really didn't rise again from the dead, then the disciples are deceivers. Do you believe that? Again, why, why would they give their life for the gospel? i tell you why. Because they saw that empty tomb. They saw him die on the cross. They knew he was buried. But they saw him conquer the grave. We have eyewitness accounts, eyewitness testimony that the resurrection took place. Dr. Gary Habermas, the leading teacher on the power of the resurrection in all the world. He says that Christianity completely falls apart if there is no resurrection of the dead. He's right. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus 
conquered the grave. If he can do that, what can't he do? That's my Jesus. Do you know him? Has he given new life to you? Because he conquered the grave, he now can give new life. And I'm thankful he's given it to me. I'm thankful he's changed me. I'm sure not where I need to be, but praise God I'm not where I used to be. Thank you, Lord. If there is no Easter, preaching is pointless. Faith is futile. The disciples are deceivers. Listen, and still, sin still reigns supreme. Look at verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. You know what the Bible tells us in, in the book of John chapter 8? Jesus said, whoever, is the, um, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Let me tell you what I used to think when I lived apart from Christ. When, when, I, when Jesus was not Lord of my life. I really thought I had it all figured out. I thought I had the world by the tail. That I could do what I wanted, when I wanted, with whom I wanted. And I had all the freedom in the world. Folks, that's not freedom. That's bondage of the worst kind. Let me ask you something. Ask a drug addict how free they are. When that substance has a control on them physically, mentally, emotionally. When that controls everything they do, they're, they're not free to do what they want. They're a slave to sin. Ask an alcoholic how free he is. When all his body craves is the next drink of alcohol. When he would do absolutely nearly about anything to get the next fix. Ask him how free he is. Ask the adulterer how free he is. When he's got to slip around and hide this and hide that and lie over here and completely even wonder himself or herself what the truth is anymore. How free are they? That's not freedom. That's bondage. If Jesus be not raised, then we are still in our sin. Sin still reigns supreme. It is still my slave master. How many of y'all are thankful that Easter did happen? <laughs> That's what Paul is saying. That's the point he's making. This changed everything. If sin still reigns supreme, then death has dominion. Look at verse number 18. Watch this. They also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. All the ones who've, who've died in Jesus, if Christ be not raised, listen, and he didn't have power over death, then they didn't have power over death. This week, I had the privilege and the honor of preaching a dear brother's funeral who went home to be with the Lord. And I, and I told the folks that were here Thursday, what I want to tell you, it was a joy for me. Now, now don't, don't misunderstand me. I, I miss Brother Doyle, and I know his, his family miss him as well. I'm not making light of that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that for the believer, the last breath on earth is followed by your first breath in heaven. For the believer, for the Christ follower, for those who are in Christ, death is little more than changing addresses. 
for the believer, for the Christ follower. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. For the believer, for the Christ follower, for me to live as Christ, if I keep living, I'm just going to keep enjoying Jesus while I'm here. But to die is gain for the Christ follower. Listen, if there were no Easter, none of that's true, and death still has dominion for for sin still reigns supreme. Are you getting me? So how good is Easter? How powerful is the resurrection? I'm telling you, it changed everything. If there were no Easter, our future is still full of fear. Look at verse 19 and I'm done. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all aware of all men most miserable. See, if Jesus didn't conquer the grave, if he didn't become our Savior that made us right with God, thereby giving us, all who trusted him, giving us the opportunity to live eternally with God in his heaven. If that didn't happen, if Jesus didn't conquer the grave, and all we do is die, then my future is still full of fear. I told you this morning, I'm going to tell you again, I've got peace for living. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I I don't know what President Biden's going to do. I I don't know what Vladimir Putin's going to do. I don't know what leaders around the world's going to do. I don't know what's going to happen to our government. I don't know what's going to happen in this country. I don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but praise God, I know who holds tomorrow. And I know he's promised to never leave me nor forsake me as his child. I know that the God I serve has the power to speak stars into existence. To split seas, raise up dead people, walk on water, heal heal paralyzed men. I know my Jesus is able, and so I can trust him. Therefore, I have peace for my living. But praise God, I've got peace for dying. I can tell you with sureness this morning. I do not fear death. I don't want death. I'm not morbid. Hey, listen, I want to live as long as the Lord allows me to live. I hope and pray that God blesses in this church and I want to see God just do amazing things right here in the hearts and lives of people. I want to see that. I want to experience that. I want to see my kids grow up, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. I want to spend at least 60 years with my wife. I, I want to I enjoy life because life is a gift. I want all of that, but I'm just telling you, I'm ready for death. And if it happens, I still win. I really win. I heard a story one time about a preacher who was talking about dying and how you can know that you're ready for heaven. And he said, I want everybody in here that's ready to die to raise your hand. If you're ready to go to heaven, raise your hand. He said, everybody in there raised their hand. But one little boy right down here on the right, he just kept his hand down. After the service, the pastor went up to him and he said, son, you don't want to go to heaven? He said, oh yeah, preacher, I want to go to heaven. 
He said, why didn't you raise your hand while ago? He said, well, I thought you was getting up a load for this evening. <laughs> I want to live life. I want to enjoy life. But I'm telling you, if it happens this evening, I have the sureness of knowing in whom I've trusted. I'm not trusting in my goodness. I'm not trusting in who I am. I'm trusting in the finished work of Jesus. I'm trusting in the fact that he paid my sin debt at the cross. I'm trusting in the fact that, yes, he was buried, but that he rose again the third day. I believed it with my heart. I've confessed my sin with my mouth. And the Bible says those who believe in their heart confess with their mouth and call upon the name of the Lord. Say it one more time. For those who call upon the name of the Lord, trust Him. Trust Him. Follow Him. Love Him. Serve Him. He gave His life and conquered death for you. Everybody stand together. I cannot think of a better time to give your heart to Jesus, to trust Him as Savior, than on Easter. <laughs> That's powerful. Powerful any time, but boy, today is this special. Today's a celebration of the finished work of Christ. I can't think of a better way to celebrate it, folks, than to trust in what He's done for you. To receive new life that only He can give. To be made right with God today. He was... Offered up for our offenses, but raised again for our justification. Today you can be justified, made right, because he's risen again. If you need him, don't wait. What are you waiting on? Oh my gosh, what are you waiting on? I, I remember, you remember the story of the Exodus when God called Moses to go and deliver the nation of Israel out of the bondage in Egypt. And he gets there and Pharaoh says, well, I'll let them go in the morning. I'll let them go in the morning. I'll let them go in the morning. And every, and every time Moses come back, he wouldn't let them go. He kept lying about it. He kept crawfishing. And so God began sending plagues. And he sent a plague of frogs. Y'all remember that? And so that there were frogs covering all the land of Egypt. I mean, there were frogs everywhere. There were, there were frogs in Pharaoh's home. There were frogs in the cabinet. There were frogs in the sink. There were frogs in the, in the bathtub. Frogs in, in, in the refrigerator if he had one. Everywhere he looked, there were frogs. You know what Pharaoh said? Come back tomorrow. I'll let them go tomorrow. And I've always wondered, what is this brother's problem? Why does he want to keep living with these frogs? He said, brother, what's that mean to us? I'll tell you what it means. You can be set free of your sin, your shame, your guilt, your deadness. You can be set free of all that right now because of the resurrection. Why do you want to live with the frogs any longer? Why not today? Why not now? Why not?